0: We all know that 2020 was marked by a pandemic. We want 2021 to be the year that we begin to end the epidemic, the epidemic of loneliness and isolation by fighting for relationship. In today's message, we're gonna look at how Jesus followers should look at people and how Jesus looks at the lonely. I hope that it's a message that blesses you and inspires you today. Before you leave, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And remember, be blessed. Today, uh, we continue part two of a collection of talks titled, End the Epidemic. End the epidemic, and the epidemic that we are after ending is the epidemic of loneliness. It's an epidemic that affects 100% of the population in some way, some shape, some form. Three out of five Americans say that they currently suffer on a regular basis from loneliness. And COVID has intensified it, driving us into isolation and deeper levels of division like never before. But I'm here to tell you today that you don't have to be alone to feel alone. Loneliness knows no limits. Loneliness can come knocking on any one of our doors. You can catch loneliness in a crowded room where you feel all alone. You can catch loneliness in a conversation where you very quickly feel like a minority. It is caught scrolling through social media, looking for connection, but only finding comparison. Loneliness lurks behind every conversation where you feel misunderstood or unseen or unheard. It shows up when you send texts but are rarely sent texts. When you're always initiating but never receiving. When you look around and there's no one to celebrate your successes or shoulder your failures. Loneliness comes looking for all of us. It lives, it swims in shallow level conversations about superficial stuff that doesn't matter. It can be contracted from careers that prioritize the bottom line and turn you into a human doing instead of a human being. And many of us don't see it until it's too late. Until we've climbed the ladder and gotten to the top of corporate America only to realize how truly lonely it is at the top. It lives in empty 6,000 square foot houses that used to be full of the pitter patter of kids feet where now you just hear the sound of the garage door closing as your spouse leaves for work. You can hear it in the sound of a millennial in their apartment at 2 a.m. just clicking their keyboard. Loneliness is passed through divorce papers and passed on to our kids. It's contagious. It comes for all of us when we least expect it. When we didn't see it, it comes knocking where we feel lonely like no one gets us and no one understands us and no one cares about us. It's an epidemic. And it's an epidemic that we try to numb with Netflix. We try to silence with social media. We try to hush with our hobbies. We can't see it because of our careers and don't notice it because of our kids. But it's coming and it has come for each and every one of us. It is an epidemic. But what if you were made for more? What if you were made for more than just doing life in your pajamas? You see, COVID has conditioned us to believe that just another lonely Friday night is just another symptom of COVID. But what if it's a symptom of something more? What if it's a symptom of this loneliness that lurks and that hides in the human soul that all of us are looking so hard to try to escape from? What if you were made for more? What if we could become the kind of contagious community that said that no one had to do life alone, but that we were created to walk through this life together as the people of God? What if there was another way to be human? If you're taking notes, I want to preach a message for you today titled, Rerouted. Rerouted. Have you ever had a time in your life when you got rerouted? When you were going a direction, but the route had to change, maybe a road was closed off. You know, throughout the years, our Maps apps have gotten much more rude with how they reroute us. Have y'all noticed that? The GPS ladies have gotten much more aggressive. If you're a, like if you remember back in the day, like you'd be going somewhere and you would make a wrong turn and your GPS map lady, she would be like rerouted, calculating route, right? And then she'd kind of tell you to where, where to go. Now, if you've got the maps app, like the Apple maps and you like miss a turn, she's just like turn left at the next light, right? She just yells at you, just real straightforward. If you got the Waze app, any Waze users in the house this morning, there's the people of God. There are all the Christians, okay? Um, Waze is amazing. And uh, what Waze does is if you miss your turn, the way that it reroutes you is it just gives you that little, you, you know, that noise, that beep beep, which just makes me think she's cussing at me, you know? And it's just, believing it out, you idiot, wrong turn. And she's gotten much more aggressive throughout the years. But there are times when all of us need our lives to be rerouted. And what I want to do today is I want to take you on a wild journey. I want to take you down a road that Jesus leads his disciples on, where he ends up having the longest conversation with a single individual as the Messiah. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of John. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning, and we're going to look at this story where Jesus leads his disciples down a road, and I believe that what this story is going to do is it's gonna teach us about how followers of Jesus should look at people and how Jesus looks at the lonely. John chapter four, we'll pick it up in verse one. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So Jesus is in a place called uh, Judea or Jerusalem in a county called Judea, and he's headed towards Galilee. And to get to Galilee, it says that he had to pass through Samaria. Look at this. Verse 4 is very interesting. It says that he had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you were to look at a map and you were to study a map of ancient Israel, you would see that Judea is down here, and then here is Samaria, and then up here is Galilee. And so the most direct route from Judea to Galilee is straight through Samaria. Problem, Jews hate Samaritans. They hate them. Jews see Samaritans as half Breeds. They, the, the Samaritans in antiquity took the Jewish temple and they moved it from Jerusalem to Mount Gerizim and they begin to reinterpret and rewrite the law. This would have been high treason for an orthodox Jew. And so Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. They wouldn't associate with Samaritans. They saw them as second class, second citizens, barely human. Jews wouldn't talk to Samaritans, Jews wouldn't walk with Samaritans, they wouldn't do business with Samaritans, wouldn't play pick up basketball with Samaritans, wouldn't swipe right on Samaritans. Certainly they would not eat with a Samaritan. And this r- racial tension, this, um, th- this bigotedness towards Samaritans begin to intensify and grow so big and so deep that Jews just begin to avoid Samaria entirely. If you were to look at the map, it would, for a Jew to go from um, Judea to Galilee by way of Samaria, it would be a 70-mile walk. It would take you about two and a half days. But no Jew would go the direct route. What Jews would do is they would go around Jericho all the way down by the Jordan River. They would make their way around Samaria to get to Galilee. It would take them some 130 miles, nearly twice the journey just because they wanted to avoid Samaritans. And it's so interesting that the text says, the scripture says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And it's interesting because Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. The Jews have proved that. You can go around Samaria and still get to Galilee. You see, I don't think that Jesus had to go through Samaria. I think Jesus wanted to go through Samaria. And I think he wanted to go through Samaria because he had something that he wanted to teach his disciples. He wanted to lead these young Jewish Hebrew boys who had been taught to avoid a place and a people for their entire life right into the middle of a religious, cultural, relational war zone. And I think he wanted to do it. I think he wanted to do it because he knew that the the message and that the lesson in the midst of the difficulty was one of the most important that they would learn their entire life. Just watch what happens once they get there. John chapter 4 verse 4 says this. It says, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about the middle of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So there they are. 12 Jewish disciples following in the dust of their rabbi down a road that they've been taught to avoid their entire life. And the scripture doesn't give us much backstory on it. It's almost as if they've just walked down this road in silence. You ever had one of those moments where somebody said something and everybody went silent? That's the kind of moment we're seeing happen as these Jewish boys begin to walk towards Samaria. You can almost imagine them hanging out in the background as Jesus, their rabbi, is leading the way, and they're just talking to each other like, John, does he know where he's going? Like, John, did he, did he take a wrong turn? Hey, Bartholomew, did he miss a sign? Peter, did he miss a dove or a rainbow? Somebody, where are we going? He's going the wrong way. Where are we headed, Jesus? Where are you taking us, Jesus. They get just outside of Samaria, and, and Jesus sits down at this well in the middle of the day, and he's tired from his journey, and so he sends his disciples. He says, hey, I want you to go into lunch and, or go into town and grab us some lunch. We're all Christians here, so get some Chick-fil-A and then come back. And guys, the Chick-fil-A joke was really funny about Christians. Come on. So, so sends them to get some lunch, and they, we, we don't really see how they respond in the Scriptures, so you can just like almost imagine that they kind of like laugh like, ah, Jesus, Chick-fil-A, we get it. Like, but then they see that he's serious. Like, no, 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 like I want you to go into that town and I want you to get some lunch. And they say, no, 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 Jesus, it was, it was bad enough that you brought us close to Samaria. We don't want to have to go into Samaria and associate with those people. Those are dirty people. Those are unclean people. Those are not nice people. We don't want to go be with those people, Jesus. Listen, we passed the Little Caesars back in Rome yesterday. Let's just go there for lunch. Like, I don't want to go into Samaria, but Jesus sends these Jewish boys right into the middle of this town that they've been taught to avoid for lunch. And you've got to wonder, how was that errand? Like, how did it go for them? As they walked into this town, very clearly being Jewish, everyone from Samaria seeing that they stick out like a sore thumb. Can you imagine how awkward that must have been? How uncomfortable? All of the subtle statements under Samaritan's breath, all of the aggressive glances, all of the looks down their nose, like what are they doing here? Who are they? Why are they in our town? As they walk up to a vendor and they say, hey, is there anything to eat here? Nah, there's nothing to eat here. Walk to say, hey, can we get some food? No, 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 you can't get any food. Hey, can we go shopping at this market? No, you can't go shopping at this market. Like how awkward, how uncomfortable must this have been? Now here's what I find so interesting is that Jesus wanted these boys to experience this. Well, how rude of Jesus. Why would Jesus make them go through this? They've wanted to avoid this. This is uncomfortable. This is awkward. This is difficult. I've got to imagine that Peter eventually says something, right? Because he's the outspoken one. He's the one who just always sticks his foot in the mouth. He's flamboyant. He just says what's on his mind. He can't help it. And he just says to Jesus, no, I don't want to, Jesus. I don't want to go and associate with those people. What are we even doing here, Jesus? This isn't where I belong. I want to go back home. Take me to where my people are. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, I want to see them dancing. Jesus, take us back home. I don't want to be in Samaria. I don't want to have to associate with these people, these kinds of people. And Jesus wants them to experience this. What are we doing here, Jesus? What they're doing here is they are being rerouted for the sake of relationship. Jesus is rerouting where they are going to shape who they are becoming. And who they are becoming is love. You see, Jesus leads them right through what they've avoided their entire life so that they can understand the real meaning of life. And the meaning of life is to search after people. You know, it's no coincidence that Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandment is by a lawyer, and Jesus quotes, he says, you know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the The lawyer thinks he's trapped Jesus and he asks a clarifying question. He says, well, who then is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. What story does Jesus tell? The story of the good Samaritan. Why does Jesus tell that story? Because he's trying to communicate to us the priority of people no matter the difficulty No matter how hard it is, our hard wiring is to go after humans, to chase after the human heart, to go towards those who everyone else would avoid. I'm here to tell you today, it's our job as Jesus followers to go searching for the searching, to go looking for the lonely, to go to the outcast and the marginalized and the passed over and the not picked and the rejected and the unwelcomed. It's our job to go to the people who everybody else will not go to and who will intentionally avoid. This is so significant to Jesus. This is so important. And I think that, that, that he takes them there to experience this and he drives this in so intensely because he's trying to shape who they're becoming. He's trying to shape them to be people who are love. And the disciples begin to get this. Like, you know that it's Peter who's on this little field trip with Jesus, who in Acts chapter 10, tears down the wall between Jew and Gentile and say that Jesus didn't come for one class or for one race or for one people group, but Jesus just came for people, period. For all people, from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, regardless of sin, regardless of skin color, regardless of past, regardless of pain, Jesus came for people. This is what causes the disciples, the early church to grow into this kind of contagious community. Acts chapter two, verse 47 describes this community. It says that the early church was praising God and having favor with, give me that word, all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jesus changes the priority of humanity from profiting to being about people from being consumed with self to being consumed with others. We see this in Acts 2.45, that the early church was selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need because the focus and the intention and the direction of their life became less about what they were acquiring and more about who they were rescuing, more about who they were serving, more about who they were loving. Jesus is always trying to get us to walk towards what we would avoid. I want you to know that Jesus wants to tear down any wall and any guardrail that you would put up that would keep you from prioritizing people. Jesus wants to reroute your life this morning. He wants to reroute your schedule and your calendar and your priority to be a life that is lived for others. The most important question before us as followers of Jesus is always what are we doing for others? Who are we serving? Who are we loving? Who are we giving to? You know, I think maybe the most paramount question before us today is not just who we are loving or who we are serving, but who we are avoiding. Who are you avoiding today? What paths do you refuse to walk down? What roads do you stay on to keep you from having to go towards people or towards places that would be uncomfortable or that would be difficult? You know, for the disciples, it was racism and it was nationalism and it was God loves me more than you-ism. What's it for you? What roads do you continue to walk on? What paths do you continue to take that keep you from prioritizing people? Is it, what is your Samaria? Is it comfort? Is it convenience? Is it the road to success? Is it introversion road? Is it safety road? Is it I'm just a mom road? Is it I don't have time road? What roads are you walking on that are keeping you from people that Jesus wants to reroute today? I believe that God wants the intention of all of our lives to be one that's headed towards people, Can we begin to be people who take the easy route less and less, who are willing to take the difficult route straight through the thing that we've been avoiding? The best that God has for you is not when you stay in your safe little rhythms of predictability and comfort, but when you leave those behind, say yes to the reroute and step into the story. Jesus begins to have a conversation with this woman at this well while his disciples are in town. And look what he says. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep where do you get that living water so jesus in samaria this town that everyone else has avoided comes to a well but i don't believe that jesus came looking for a well on this reroute i believe he came looking for this woman and he begins to have a conversation with this woman who is how shall you say a desperate housewife this woman has had five husbands and the man that she is currently living with is a living boyfriend. This woman is scandalous. She is what you would call promiscuous. This woman has lived some life. She has seen some stuff. And Jesus begins to talk to this woman. And it's really interesting that she is even here at this point in the day. You see, historically, what women would have done in Jerusalem or in Samaria is all reputable women in society would have woken up in the cool of the morning before the scorching sun of the Middle East was beating down on them. They would have woken up in the cool of the morning and gone to the well to draw water for their family for that day or for that week. But but this woman, she is here in the middle of the day. Why? because she doesn't want to be seen by reputable women. She knows that she is an outcast. She knows that she's an outsider. She knows that she's been branded with a scarlet A, that she is not welcome, that she is not wanted with people in society. And so what she's done is she's chosen paths for her life of recluseness. She's cut herself off from other people. She's isolated herself from others. She's given in to the inclination to push everyone else out and push everyone else away. And so there she is in the middle of the day, walking up to this well so that she doesn't have to be seen by other women, which really informs a lot about loneliness, doesn't it? You see, a lot of times we look at people and we think, well, you're lonely because of the decisions that you've made, because you've gone from marriage to marriage, and because you've made all these poor choices, and because you've got all these bad sin habits, and because you're just an awful person to be around, that's why you're lonely, but what if we're not lonely because of our decisions, but it's actually our decisions that are informed by our loneliness? Have you ever thought about why it is that you're doing the things that you're doing? What? What decisions is loneliness driving in your life? Another trip to the pantry, a late night visit to that website, another lie, another relationship, another job, another career, another house, another step, another trip to work. What decisions are being driven by loneliness? You see, I think that this woman doesn't, she's not lonely because she's had five husbands and now a living boyfriend. She has five husbands and a living boyfriend because she was lonely. And her loneliness led her to even greater loneliness. And so now here she is at this well all alone. And Jesus begins to talk to this woman. And you can just almost imagine like that as she sees his silhouette over the horizon, as she's headed towards the well, that she thinks to herself, what is he even doing there? Like I've planned out my life I've calculated all of the possibilities and I know that no women are here. I'm not gonna have to talk to anybody. I'm not gonna have to discuss anything. I'm not gonna have to hear the comments or see the glances. I can just be by myself, get my water, do my business and go back home. What is he even doing here? I didn't expect him here. I wasn't planning to see him today or anyone today. I just wanna be left alone. And Jesus begins to talk to this woman about water, which is so interesting, isn't it? This woman who wants so badly to be made clean who wants so badly for her past to be able to be washed clean, for her past to be able to be erased, to have a new start, to start over, to not feel like she's dirty and just been used and abused and taken advantage of, to not feel like her life is just this string of one relationship to the next, always searching and looking for fulfillment and satisfaction. She feels dirty. That's why she's there by herself, so that no one has to see her in her filth and her sin and her shame. And Jesus starts to talk to this woman about water, the kind of water that she's been searching for her entire life. Jesus realizes that she is thirsty. Do you realize that people are thirsty? Do you see it? That behind the five marriages and the six-figure job and the 70,000 followers on Instagram, that people are thirsty. Thirsty. They're thirsty for something that can satisfy, for something that can clean them, something that can cleanse them, something that can make them new and quench their thirst. People are thirsty. Jesus sees this, and he makes her an offer for living water, the kind that she's been searching for her entire life. Now, here's what's so interesting is that she begins to talk to Jesus about religion. Jesus is offering her redemption and she starts to talk about religion. She goes, listen, all my ancestors worshipped on this mountain over here and your ancestors worshipped on that mountain over there. And I know at some time there's going to be somebody who comes in, sorts all of this out. She pivots. She changes the conversation. She begins to hide. She begins to divert. And isn't this what we do? Every time that God comes knocking on our door and he wants to reroute our life and he wants to make us an offer to stop living in the shallow end of life and to come into deeper waters and into deeper meaning, and into deeper purpose, we just try to change the conversation and get distracted. We try to focus on secondary issues and little things that don't quite matter as much. You know, it's one of the greatest pains in life that the things that we tend to talk about, the that the, that the things that we need to talk about the most are the things we tend to talk about the least. The issues that are in our soul and the questions and the searching and the shame and the guilt and the pain and the loneliness. When it's even brought up, we just push it down and we say, no, I'm good. I've got this. I can do this. I don't need anyone. I'm a maverick. I'm fine by myself. I'll just be a lone wolf all the days of my life. Or we begin, Christians do really weird things. We just start to talk about weird theology that just doesn't, I can't go to that church and I can't associate with those people and they're not welcome here because of this thing and where we worship and how we worship. And Jesus is just trying to cut through all of it and talk about living water that can make all people new. Jesus, true to form, leads this woman right into what she is trying to avoid. He makes her address and deal with head on this shame and this guilt that has driven her into isolation that lives in her soul. And look at what he says. He drops a truth bomb in on her in John chapter 4, verse 23. It says, the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This woman, Five marriages, live-in boyfriend, at a well, in the middle of the day, predictable routes of isolation, keeping her from having to address any issues going on in her soul. She's been driven into loneliness. She feels unseen, unwanted, unheard, full of shame, full of confusion, searching, looking for anything to satisfy her. And it's so interesting that Jesus, the only time, in the book of John that he reveals to a person that he's a Messiah is in the middle of the day in the heart of Samaria to a woman at a well. He lets this person who may be the most lonely person in the gospel in on the greatest truth in all of creation that God has come to be with us that the Messiah the one that we've been looking for and thirsty for and searching for has offered us freely living water this is the best news that this woman has ever heard That her life could be changed, that it could be transformed, that Jesus, who she's been searching for, is sitting right in front of him, right in front of her. Now, you got to watch what happens next because this is good drama, people. You ready for this? John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Just then. His disciples came back. This is like an episode of Days of Our Lives. It's like that scene where there's been this weird love triangle all season long, and you don't know if he loves you or he loves you not. He loves you or he loves you not, or he loves her, who knows. And he finally tells you that he loves you, and then she walks in the room just then. Just then, as this woman receives the news that the Messiah is right in front of her, who can heal her, who can wash her, who can cleanse her, who can make her new, the disciples walk up. And don't you know that the disciples' faces give them away? The disciples walk up, and this woman is, is, is sitting with Jesus, and the disciples are perplexed that Jesus would have anything to do with her. We know because it says that they marveled. Translation: They made a face. You ever made a face? You ever walk up on someone? What's you doing here? You don't belong here. Who are you? And that's what they do to Jesus. They marvel. Jesus, well, what you doing with that girl? why are you talking to her she's not good enough she's not clean enough. she's a samaritan she's a woman jesus what are you doing with her they faces gave them away they didn't say anything this woman just saw it they just she saw the racism she saw the prejudice she saw the disinterest that the disciples displayed to her do you know how i know because of what happens next. Look at John 4:28. It says that the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This woman, amazed by Jesus, in love with Jesus, perplexed by Jesus, but scared of his followers. She looks up from looking into the eyes of her Savior to see the faces of 12 racists, and she runs away. Do you know how I know that she runs away? Because the Bible says that she left her one and only possession. She left her water jar. She came there for one purpose, for one thing. She sees the disciples, and she leaves in a hurry, in a scurry, in an instant because she feels unwanted. And I'm just here looking for a group of people who can stop letting the world use the excuse that I'm interested in Jesus, but I hate his followers. I want us to be the kind of people who live up to what God said that we were supposed to be. John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Can we not be a barrier from people getting to Jesus Can we not be the thing that's standing in the way, the wall that's keeping them out? Can our faces not give us away? You know, if we're going to be the kind of church that truly fights for relationship, that ends the epidemic of loneliness and isolation, we're going to see some stuff. We're going to see some sin. We're going to hear some stories. We're going to have some awkward conversations. Can we choose to not be religious and to not be holier than thou and not to be better than people, but to be love? to be the kind of people who love people towards Jesus and make people feel like loved is their middle name. You know, the thing that I love so much about this woman is she's scared of Jesus' followers, but she's so in love with her savior that it causes her to go back to her city and tell everyone. The Bible says that she goes back and she tells her town, come see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. So interesting. This woman who at the start of the story had been in isolation. She had been in hiding an outcast within community, uninterested in associating with reputable women or or really any women. She just wanted to be left alone. But when her life intersects the person of Jesus, it gets rerouted. And this once reclusive woman becomes one of the greatest missionaries her city has ever seen. It says she tells everyone And all of these Samaritans start to come out and start to investigate and start to see Jesus, start to meet Jesus and fall in love with Jesus because that's the way that you end the epidemic of loneliness one person at a time. And when one person intersects Jesus and their life experiences freedom, it creates a domino effect of freedom. Free people set others free. People who've been found go and find others. People who've been released from their loneliness go looking for people who are still lonely. Can we be this kind of church who really sees it as our job and our mission and our priority to chase after people? What roads have you been living on too long? What paths have you been walking that have allowed you to avoid what Jesus wants to lead you into? I'm here to tell you this morning that you need people. You desperately need people. And you need people who you would otherwise avoid, people who don't look like you or talk like you or think like you. What if it's the people who aren't like you that make you more like Jesus? Because they reveal your blind spots. And they rid you of self-righteousness. And they remind you of your sin and your need for a Savior. What if it's going towards the people that others would avoid that is actually what makes you more like him? I want us to be a church. We titled this series End the Epidemic because we wanted it to be epic. And we wanted it to not just be this three-week series that we kind of did and tweeted about and then went on with our lives, but we wanted to sew it into the fabric of who we were as a church that if nobody else will go searching for a generation, that we'll go searching. That if everyone else will leave people to sit at a well all by themselves, that we'll go right through a war zone if that's where it takes us to get to the last person who doesn't know Jesus. That we'll chase after the one until there is no one. That we won't let culture silence our calling, but that we will be people who prioritize people, even if it takes us through Samaria. Now I know that there are some, some men or some women who are either in the crowd today or who are watching online today who feel like they're sitting at a well this morning. You feel dirty and you feel unwanted. And a great majority of your life you felt unwelcomed and out of place and Misunderstood and your life has just become consigned to going through the same motions and having the same habits, and you eat alone and you live alone and you go to restaurants alone, and you just feel like even when you're around people that nobody gets you and nobody sees you and you're just an outcast, and maybe it's because of some decisions or habits or, or I don't know, but you just feel like I'm, I'm that woman and I'm in a well this morning, and I'm just wondering, could Jesus love me too? Is his grace good enough to forgive me of my sin and my mistakes and my past and my transgressions? I've heard a lot of people. Could his water make me clean? And I just want to tell you today that it can, that he sees you and that he loves you and that if you miss everything that I say, hear him saying to you that he is the Messiah. He is the one that you've been looking for. He is the savior of your soul. He is the lover of your heart. He is the giver of every good gift and he is chasing after you this morning. And so with every head bowed, And every eye closed, I just wanna give those men and women who are sitting at a well an opportunity to say yes to the Savior. Just say this, say, Jesus, I want you. And Jesus, I need you. If you are the living water that can wash my sin away, I say yes today. I don't want to do life alone anymore. I receive the gift of you doing life with me. And I want my life to be lived for you. If you prayed that prayer, we just want to give you an opportunity to respond with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to count to three. And this might be the most important decision that you ever make in your life. The most important step that you ever take to start a relationship with the God of the universe, to stop doing life alone and to start doing life with him. And so on the count of three, if you said yes to Jesus today, if you prayed that prayer, I just want you to raise your hand in person or online so that we can celebrate with you today that you are in God's family, that your sins have been washed away and that your life is brand new. On the count of three, one, two, three. Let's celebrate together, believing that people in this room and that people online are saying yes to Jesus, crossing from death to life having their sins washed away. Jesus, we love you, and we love that you love us right where we are, in our mess, in our sin, on our routes, taking us away from what you want from us. You still love us, and you're chasing us down. You're seeking us out, and you're inviting us into more. And so, God, we just respond to you today. We say yes to you today. We love how much you love us today, and we worship and glorify your name. And all God's people said, Amen and amen.